0: 189 million roses will be sold today. The vast majority of those come from gas stations, I think. I don't know for sure, but that's, that's just my guess. 189 million roses. 180 million cards will be sold today. 36 million heart-shaped boxes of chocolate. In in total, $18.9 billion worth of gifts. And on top of that, $703 million worth of Valentine's gifts to your pets will be sold today. Valentine's Day is big business. It's a time to let the people in our lives and the pets apparently know just how much they mean to us. It's a time for sentiment. It's a time for amateur poetry. Roses are red. Violets are blue. I'm not a poet, as you can tell. We choose our words and our cards carefully. As I stood there in the card aisle this week with all the other loser husbands at Walmart looking for cards. We, we were kind of helping each other out. You know, well, this one's good. This one's funny. Don't give her this one, you know. Make sure that we do that correctly. It's a day that, that, that means a lot to a lot of people. And it's also the day that, for some reason, I chose to preach this text. Hear the words of Jesus from Luke chapter 14, verse 26. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother, his wife, And children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. That's my text. Do not put that in a card to your spouse or to to your parents. Don't don't do that. Don't give them that. And and you know, even worse, I mean, here Jesus tells us to hate people. Even worse, there's stuff in this text I'm gonna look at. There's stuff about manure also. I mean, as if the hate part isn't bad enough. We're gonna talk about manure this morning, you know? So It's going to be great. And we've got got some wonderful visitors with us today. They're going to go home and people are going to say, how was church? And they're going to say, church was fine. Well, what did the preacher preach on? And Thad will say, well, he preached about how we should hate everybody. And manure. He talked about manure also. That's great, you know, that sounds perfect. So before we, we dive into the message, I have to say this is not a Valentine's Day sermon. As much as I appreciate the holiday and as much as I appreciate the hearts and the chocolate, and the cards, we're here to share Jesus' call to follow Him. And it is a call that must have priority in our lives above all else. So while our hearts may have chocolate in them today, our hearts actually belong to Jesus. And We're going to be looking at Luke 14, beginning in verse 25. If you're using the Bibles there in the pew, it's page 874. The passage begins, Luke tells us in verse 25, Now great crowds And is not able to finish all who see it begin to mock him saying this man began to build and was not able to finish or what king going out to encounter another king in war will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with ten thousand to meet him who comes against him with twenty thousand and if not while the other is yet a long way off he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace so therefore if any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be My disciple. We saw in, in Luke chapter 9, verse 51, we saw that Jesus set His face to go to Jerusalem. This passage we're looking at today falls exactly at the halfway point between that announcement that Jesus set His face to go to Jerusalem and the cross. This falls exactly at the halfway point. Prior to this, a lot of Jesus' teachings, a lot of His words were pointed directly to the Pharisees and to the Jewish leaders. He was pointing to them and to their hypocrisy. Remember, we talked about their hypocrisy a couple of weeks ago. But from here on, His teaching is squarely on those who would follow Him. Their commitment. The priority that Jesus has in their lives. Because without that commitment, without that priority, we're wasting our time. Without that commitment, without that priority, we have no impact on our world. And I think we get His point. His words are harsh. And then He brings up manure also. Look on down in verses 34 and 35. Right after He says all of this, in verse 34, Jesus says, Salt is good, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is of no use Either for the soil or for the manure pile. It is thrown away. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. So what's what's that about? <laughs> Why does Jesus bring up salt and manure? You know, we we've tried to understand this for years. We use salt to flavor foods. And in some ways, maybe we think of ourselves as we're supposed to bring a flavor to society. We're supposed to to, to bring a little something extra and bring out the real flavor. You use salt to flavor foods. You don't use salt to flavor manure. No, you don't do that. We use salt as a preservative. You know, we have salt cured hams. We have you know all this other. We 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 preserve food with salt. Don't preserve manure. Okay, don't don't do that. That's that's not what this is about. So why manure? Let me explain this to you. In that part of the world, they would cook their meals in these little clay pots, right? And you've seen pictures from over there. You've seen what it looks like. There's not a lot of vegetation. There's not a lot of trees. So they would cook their meals over dried manure. There's a little pot burning with dried manure underneath of it. Well, at some point they learned... That if they mixed a little salt in with the dried manure, if they mixed in some salt, this chemical reaction would take place. And the fire would burn brighter, the fire would burn hotter, the fire would burn longer if they mixed a little bit of salt in with the manure. However, salt back then, you know, it didn't come out of a shaker. It wasn't pretty and white like our salt. And salt, you know, you didn't go down to the store and get the Morton container of salt and take that home. Salt was a was a mixture of well salt and then there was some road dirt in there and there was some ash in there. It, was, it, was, it wasn't pure. And if you didn't store the salt correctly and it got wet, well, all the salt would leach out and all you'd have left was dirt. That's how salt lost its saltiness. And at that point, it wasn't fit for anything. Jesus says it's not fit for the soil. You can't grow anything in it because it's, it now has been made salty. It's inert. It doesn't have anything to grow. And it's no longer good for the manure pile either in that it won't cause the manure to burn brighter, hotter, and longer. It's not good for anything. You see the point He's making? Our commitment to Jesus is not just about saying, I love You, Jesus. Our commitment to Jesus isn't just about saying you're, you're first in my life. It's about the impact that we make on the world around us. I don't know about you, but I look at society. I look at the world around us. I look at society. I look at, I look at Kansas. I look at our immediate area. I see a lot of manure. It, it, it stinks. There's times when it just stinks. Whether it's drugs and alcohol and, and the abuse that they have. Whether it's bad relationships, broken families, broken people, a lot of it just stinks. And I could very easily find myself in a position where all I do is complain about how this world stinks. But if my commitment to Jesus means anything, then I have to do something about it. I have to shine in this world. I have to make an impact on this world. I have to shine in the manure pile. That's what Jesus is calling for in this passage. He's calling us to look at our commitment to Him and ask, are we doing any good in this world? Are the people around us any better off because they know us? Are the people around us any better off because we are Christians? Do we have the kind of commitment that shines in this world, that burns brighter in this world, or would we ruin manure? That's what I want you to consider as you take in these challenging words from Jesus. It's not about love me, hate everyone else. His words are calling us to look at ourselves and ask, does our love for Jesus burn hotter than our love for others? Does our love for Jesus burn hotter than our love for any other? So we have to address it. It's kind of like the big elephant in the room. What, what, is, what do we do with these first two verses? verses? Well, verses 26 and 27. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Are we really supposed to hate everyone else? Yeah. This is that moment in the service where I want you to turn to the person on your left and just say to them, I hate... No, don't do that. Don't do that. So what, what does this mean? Well... It's one of those strange idioms from Semitic language, from the language of those days. It's one of those strange little things that they did. And in this case, to hate does not mean to hate. It means to love less. Do you remember Genesis? In Genesis, we meet a guy named Jacob. And Jacob has two wives. Their names are Rachel and Leah. Which one did Jacob love the most? Does anyone remember? Rachel he loved Rachel more than he loved Leah in fact Genesis 29 verse 30 says so Jacob went into Rachel also and he loved Rachel more than Leah does it say he hated Leah no it says he loved Rachel more than Leah the very next verse though Genesis 29 31 says when the Lord saw that Leah was hated he opened her womb did Jacob say that he hated her no But in ancient Semitic terms, it was black and white. It was either love or hate. It was one or the other. Our problem is we do just the opposite. We love everything. And we love everyone in our world today. We love everything. I love my wife. I love my kids. I love my cat. And I love Chinese food. And if someone from Jesus' era were to hear that, they'd say, that's a strange man. He loves his wife and he loves his cat and he loves Chinese food. I mean, I can understand the cat and Chinese food because essentially that's the same thing. But what a weird guy. You know, that. I did not send Jack Bauer, my cat, a, a Valentine card this week. But, you know, maybe later, maybe when they're half price. So we, we, we look at that and we think, well, that's, that's the way we think. Well, I love everything. Back then, they, they saw that something had to come first. And if Jesus means anything to you, Jesus has to come first. When I first gave my life to Christ, I kind of cut my teeth on Keith Green music. Some of you remember Keith Green, right? And I remember when, when Trish and I were dating. When we first started dating, and when things started getting kind of serious. I made her listen to a Keith Green song with me. The song was called I Pledge My, I pledge my Head to Heaven. And the second verse of, of Keith Green's song, I said, I want you to hear these words because this is who we have to be. This is who I have to be if this commitment means anything, if this relationship means anything. The second verse of I Pledge My Head to Heaven says, I pledge my wife to heaven for the gospel, though our love each passing day just seems to grow. As I told her when we wed, I'd surely rather be found dead than to love her more than the one who saved my soul. You see the passion there? You see the importance? You see the primacy that Jesus has to take? That's the priority that Jesus deserves in our lives. You see, if I, if I love Jesus first, that doesn't mean I have to hate everyone else. It means I will love others better because I will love them with the strength uh, that I love Christ for. If I, if I love Jesus first, I'm going to love my wife with His strength. If I love Jesus first, I'm going to love my, my kids, my weird kids, with His compassion. You know, if I, if I love Jesus first, I'm going to love my neighbors. Most of my neighbors first. and I'm going to love them with a greater love because of that. I'm going to love my community in a different way because I love Jesus first. I'm going to love my world differently because I love Jesus first. Rather than get complain about our world, rather than complain about our community and all the things that are wrong, I'm going to do something about it. It motivates my behavior, it motivates me to burn hotter, to make a deeper impact in my world, to bless my world. Revelation chapter two. We have Jesus' seven letters to the seven churches of the seven, the seven angels of the seven churches. And his letter to the church in Ephesus. And I've always thought. The church in Ephesus had to be an amazing place. We know more about the church in Ephesus than we know about the church in Jerusalem. You realize that? We know more about the church in Ephesus because we've got, well, we've got Ephesians. We've got Acts that talks about Ephesians. We have 1 Timothy, which Timothy was pastoring the church there in Ephesus. And we've got letter here that John writes to uh, or that Jesus writes through John to Ephesus. We got a lot of information about Ephesus. It must have been an amazing church. And in, in Revelation chapter 2, verse 2 and 3. Jesus says of, of that church, I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance. I, I hope he would say that about Kansas Christian Church. I know your patient endurance. I don't know if he would, but I'd love to think I'd love to think he did. And how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and have found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently. And bearing up for my name's sake and that you have not grown weary. Wow, what a tremendous blessing to hear those words from Jesus. They had so much going, on, going right for them. But look at what they got wrong. In verse 4, He says, but I have this against you. You have abandoned the love you had at first. You have abandoned your first love. And by Jesus' definition here in Luke 14, as much wonderful stuff as that church was doing, by His definition, they hated Him because He was no longer their first love. They were having a tremendous impact on their community, having a tremendous impact on their world, but it was all what they were doing. They weren't doing it through the energy and through the power of the love of Christ. It was simply because of who they were and what they were doing, and there was no lasting power in that. There was no promise in that. And maybe, you know, maybe you're maybe you in a place where you hear something like that. You have, you have abandoned your first love and you're thinking to yourself, why would anyone do that? Why on earth would someone abandon that first love? Why would they give up on that? Or maybe you're in a place where you're saying, I could see myself doing that. Or maybe you're even thinking, that's, that's what I've done. I've walked away from Jesus. I've walked away... From my first love. The reality is it's a danger. Which is why He calls us to ask ourselves, do we have what it takes to pursue God at all costs? Do we have what it takes to keep this up and pursue God at all costs? Look on ahead in verse 27 there in Luke 14. Jesus says, whoever does not bear his own cross and come after Me cannot be My disciple. He said that before. He said that way back earlier in chapter 9. When he says, if anyone comes after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. Here he says, if anyone, whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me, cannot be my disciple. For which of you, desiring to build a tower, does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid the foundation and is not able to finish it, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish remember about 20 years ago when I lived up in, in Oakland and in, in Hinesboro, we would go to meetings in Decatur and we would drive on, on Route 36 through, through Tuscola. And on the other side of Tuscola, just as you got out of town, there was a church on the north side of the road. And it was, it was beautiful. Every time I drove by, I was just struck at how beautiful. It was a beautiful concrete building. And, and remember, it had beautiful windows in the front and and it had this really cool-looking clock tower. It was kind of angular and just stuck out there. A great big clock tower above. I always thought it was really something. It was right on the edge of a cemetery, if I remember right. And I remember asking my friend, uh, Dick Miller, as we were driving through, I said, what kind of church is that? You know, I, I want to know what that is. And Dick said, it's not a church. He said, there was a man in the community who had, who had a vision. And he had a vision to build this church, and he, he built it. You know he, he, he built this beautiful building. He, had all the, he put all of his money into building it. But after he'd put all of his money into building it, he didn't have the money to maintain it. And so the church was dark. The church was empty. The building was closed. He didn't have the money to pay bills. And at that time, it was being used, I believe, as storage for a business that was next door. And finally, it was demolished a few years ago, and now that church has been absorbed back into the graveyard there. I think about that a lot. Every time I'm on 36, I look over where it used to be, and I wonder how many people like me drove by and wondered where's the life? Where's the life in that church? Where are the people? What are they doing? Why are there no lights on? Why is that clock always wrong? You know, The clock was always wrong. Why is it not working? You know, the fact is, it's not just about buildings. They wonder that about people. Where's the life? What, what's going on? And, and we've all we've, we've seen that in our community. We've felt the impact of those who started well. We've seen those who, who at one time were on fire, and they were strong in the faith, but they didn't finish well. And, and the faith is gone. and that hurts all of us. It hurts our witness. It, it hurts the impact that we have on this world. Do you remember Jesus' words about the salt? He says it's of no use either to the soil or the manure pile. Uh, The salt had lost its saltiness and it no longer had the substance necessary to make the light burn bright. You don't blame manure for stinking. That's, That's what manure does. You don't blame the manure for stinking. And you don't blame this world. You don't blame the community for decay and sin. That's what the world does. You ask instead, where are the Christians? Where's the salt? Where's the fire? Where is the power? What are you bringing to this stinking, rotten world? I think it comes down to what we're seeking for ourselves in some ways. What are we seeking for ourselves? And I think Jesus is drawing us to the last question here. Do we seek lasting peace with God over safety in the moment? Are we seeking a lasting peace with God over just safety in the moment? Jesus' final illustration sounds a bit like a restatement of of the last one, but it's not. Look at the focus he has there in verse 30, or I mean verse 31. What king, going out to encounter another king in war, will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. It's in Romans chapter 5, verse 10 that Paul tells us at one time you were enemies with God. You were living in rebellion. And some of you can testify because you've, I know you've shared your story. Some of you can testify you knew you were God's enemy. And you were running. You were running as fast as you could and ran, running as hard as you could away from Him. And you can testify that He pursued you, that He brought all the armies of heaven against you. And that His love overpowered you and you came to a point in your life when you realized, I have to surrender to Him. I have to surrender everything to Him or I will lose everything. The call is to seek peace with God above everything else. To seek peace with God above a temporary peace. Above the peace that this world offers and the peace that the kings of this world offers. I think that's... a a very clear decision we have to make this year as we, as we gear up for an election. And I, I don't want to make this about politics because Jesus' words aren't really about politics here, but I will say this. Don't trade the peace of God for some promise that a politician is offering. Don't, don't trade the peace of God that, that, that He offers for someone that you can put up with for four years. <laughs> or someone that you maybe, maybe have to put up with for... For eight years. Don't do that to yourself and and don't do that for our world. Don't do that to others. I hear a lot of Christians talking. I see a lot of posts for this politician and and for that politician. And and I wonder are we as passionate about our love for Christ as we are for this politician or or that politician? Are we as passionate about what God has to offer for us and for our neighbors? You know, the, the call to fix the manure problem, the call to fix the manure problem is not to add more manure. You know, that, that doesn't fix it. You know, If the manure is going bad, let's add more manure. That, that doesn't work. The call is for the salt to make a difference. A lasting, eternal difference in this world. Do you want that peace above all else? Not just for ourselves, but for our world. Will we put our strength and our passion behind God? Behind bringing God's peace to this world? If Jesus draws us to this very hard reality in verse 33. He says, So therefore, if any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be My disciple." Any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be My disciple. It's not a call to to sell everything. It's not a call to become a monk and move up on some mountain somewhere. It's a call to renounce everything that you've put your trust in. Everything that you've put your love in aside from Jesus. Relationships, your own ability, your own peace, and to realize that none of these things can make an eternal difference in your lives or the lives of the people around you. I think sometimes we measure our commitment based on what we see in other people. Because there's always someone else we can point to and say, well, at least I'm not that guy. <laughs> you know, I, I may not be perfect, but, but I'm, I'm not pointing to anyone in particular here. But at least I'm not that guy, you know? Jesus is calling us to measure our commitment on the, based on the difference that we make in this world. Are we so incredibly sold out? Are we so incredibly given over to Jesus that our light shines in the manure pile of this world? Or do we lack commitment? Do we lack compassion? Do we lack peace? Would we ruin manure? <laughs> Would we make manure... Worse. You know, as a church, we want to find ways to shine. We want to find ways to burn bright and hot in this world, in the in the midst of this world. Our generous buckets do that. You know? We're making a difference in people's lives. We're doing wonderful things in people's lives. And you know, our, our youth lunches do that. When we can welcome 47 kids for lunch here, they come and and, and people serve them amazing meals. You ladies and, and Jeff, you all, you all do such wonderful things wonderful jobs and you're making a difference in their lives and, and uh, in our community and, and in our future but it comes down to you and me not just what is the church doing what are you doing what am i doing your commitment my commitment are you willing to let jesus shine through you are you willing to let him burn in this dark world Are you willing to let him burn in your lives and 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 bring that light even to the manure pile that we see around us it's so easy it's so easy to get down and get discouraged. It's so easy to, to read the news and, and read all the horrible things that are happening, whether it's around the world or right here. We're not called to put our eyes on those. We're called to put our eyes on Jesus. We're called to love Him first and love Him best and to allow that light to shine through us. We sing this song from time to time. I think a lot of times we, we sing it for ourselves. Shine, Jesus shine. And we sing it because I want Jesus to shine in my life. We want Him to shine in our world. We want Him to shine in our community. We want Him to shine here in Kansas. Let's stand together as we sing this song and put Him first in our hearts.